Thank you very much, James. Yes, go ahead, Sandy. All right. Uh, yeah, perhaps some of y'all signed up for this in the past. When Matt Stidham was here, he told us about a website and an organization called Bless Every Home. Mm -hmm. I think it's blesseveryhome.org, but James and Paula's uh, call to pray for her neighbors. It's a wonderful website, and it gives the <clears throat> name, the people's names, who was ever the registered owner. And you can go in there if you know someone when the house sells, you know, you can go in there and update it. You can set the frequency. It'll send you emails. You can get emails five days a week or seven days a week. You can set how many names you'd like to pray for. And uh, it's just a sweet and beautiful thing. So good. if that's something you feel called to do, it's a wonderful resource. That sounds good. Bless every home. Thank and you. I think it's .org. I appreciate you sharing that, Sandy. Thank you very much. Okay, well, let's get into the book of Daniel this morning. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to go ahead and take your Bibles out. Go over to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. Daniel, chapter 10. Um, what I want to do is we, we wrapped up the uh, Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy, if you remember, last week. And this is one of those prophecies that uh, is just so intricate, so detailed. And, and honestly, if, if I had taken the time to, to present every... Um, differing viewpoint that there is on the Daniel 70-week prophecy. We could have 10, 12, 16 weeks on, on just that chapter. Obviously, we can't do that. So I do want to preface what I say to, to let you know that obviously I've, I've tried to share other views along the way the best that I possibly can, um, but obviously I'm sharing with you what I believe the text is saying too, but just understand that there's a lot more that you can study on that topic. What I want to do, because this is important before we get into chapter 10, is I'm going to read through the 70 weeks prophecy one more time just very quickly, very casually, but I'm going to read it kind of like the Amplified Bible. You know how the Amplified Bible, when you read it, it kind of throws in a little meaning here and there, just kind of give you the flavor? We're going to walk through it one more time, and then we're going to get into chapter 10. So let's look at, uh, back up to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, and I'm just going to read it and kind of interpret it as we go, just to get the flavor of this prophecy, because this is key. This is like the center point of the book of Daniel. This becomes the center point of all prophecy in the Old Testament. And this is the center point of all prophecy that Jesus talks about. This is the center point of the entire book of John, okay? So it is extremely important um, that you understand this particular prophecy. So 70 weeks of years, 490 years, have been decreed for the Jewish people and for the city of Jerusalem. He's speaking to Daniel here. So this is his people, his city. And there are several things that will be accomplished at the terminus, at the very end of this prophecy when it's fulfilled. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. And for those of you who have studied uh, the book of Revelation and other New Testament prophetic books, you understand that this is talking about the return of Christ. Um, this is at the final consummation of the ages when everything is finally wrapped up, all prophecies are fulfilled, the dead are raised, you know, what is evil has now been made right, all that. So verse 25, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree of Artaxerxes, right, 445 B.C., we know that, 
when that happened, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, comes, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. And of course, remember, we did the calculations. We did the numbers, 173,880 days. And when you do that, you arrive on uh, Nisan the 10th, 33 AD, just a couple of days right before Jesus is crucified. He comes into Jerusalem riding in on a donkey. He presents himself for the first time as the Messiah. Well, what happens after that? Well, we know from the Gospels that the Messiah is killed, right? So look at verse uh, 26. After the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be killed. He will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come, this other prince, this little horn of the book of Daniel, this other one that we've been talking about, the one that... Uh, the Bible says that the Messiah will slay with the breath of his mouth at his coming. This other one, it says, um, he will come, the people of the prince will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And what I recommended to you is that this prophecy is telling you in detail, in advance, the first and second coming of Christ. First and second coming of Christ. You say, well, what about the events of 70 A.D.? A lot of people apply these things to 70 A.D. I think that there are parallels to 70 A.D., but I see 70 A.D. as the setup, as the type, as the picture that is going to basically show us what it's going to be like in the end. So in other words, before Christ returns, a lot of the same kinds of things that happened in the first century are going to be like the same kinds of things that happened in the last century. One of the greatest things that happened in the first century that I'm looking forward to is what happened in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe it's going to happen again. Just as we have persecutions happening all over the place, just like the book of Acts, you're going to have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, just like the book of Acts. I think we're going to see those days again. Yeah. Okay? So then it says, and he, this is this, is this other prince, uh, what, what a lot of people call Antichrist, he will make a firm covenant with many for one week, that last seven-year period. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years into it, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abomination will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Who is that one that is going to be poured, that's going to be poured out on? It is that person. Acts, or uh, excuse me, Daniel chapter 2. If you remember the stone statue, it was at the feet during the days of those kings. It says that that stone that was cut with the hands comes and destroys the entire thing. Okay? So it happens at the very, very end. Now, that's Jan Daniel chapter 9. We're going to get into Daniel chapter 10 this morning. And if you remember, we've been trying to study the book of Daniel chronologically. I don't have the slide up behind me, but I think you've seen it enough times to remember. We've, we've taken the book of Daniel and we've kind of put it into three main sections. Chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 are easy because they are chronological. They take place during the first, reign, first year of, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Then we move into chapter 7. We skip the chapter because if you look at chapter 7, chapter 7 is the first year of Belshazzar, right? He's also a Babylonian king. He's Nebuchadnezzar's son. But we skipped ahead because chronologically speaking, chapter 7 comes next. Chapter 8 was the third year of Belshazzar. And then we had to go back to chapter 5. Why? Because that was the last year of Belshazzar. Again, in the Bible, it's not laid out chronologically, but we chose in this class to go ahead and read through it chronologically speaking. Okay? 
Now, this, the last few weeks, we've been in this last section of the book of Daniel, chapter 6, 9, 10, 11, and 12. And I have to make a correction to myself because I realized that, that I had lumped a couple of chapters together in error. And let me explain how I did that. Um, the next chapter was Daniel chapter 6. Uh, that takes place during the first year of Darius. We know that because of the time stamp that's in the beginning of chapter 6. And then we also went to chapter 9. If you remember, chapter 6 takes place when? Daniel chapter 6 takes, takes place after the fall of Babylon. You have the handwriting on the wall. And then Darius the Mede is put into power, right? So that chapter takes place during the reign of Darius. Then we went to Daniel chapter 9, which is where we went last week. And why did we go to Daniel chapter 9? Because that chapter also takes place during the first year of Darius. Now, here's where I made my mistake. I put Daniel chapter 9, 11, and 12 together, and I put 10 at the end. Here's why. Because Daniel chapter 9 says that it was written during the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 11, verse 1, I'm going to say it now because I realize I was in error, sounds like <laughs> it starts at the beginning of the first year of Darius. It actually does not. Okay? So you say, well, Tim, what does this mean? This means that chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12 are actually chronological. I was wrong. Does that make sense? Okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read chapter 10, which takes place in the uh, third year of Cyrus. Okay? Third year of Cyrus. So we've already left Darius. Okay? Darius is done. So now we are two years later in chapter 10, and we're going to be in the third year of Cyrus. If you remember, we talked about Cyrus the Great. And here's where I made my mistake. He's going to start having a conversation with an angel in chapter 10. Very incredible angelic experience. We're going to read about it in just a moment. And this angel is going to talk about things that have to do with the Persian Empire, and he's going to say, I strengthened Darius in the first year of his reign. I read that as if this was happening in the first year of his reign. But he was actually flashing back to something that happened in the first year of his reign. Does that make sense? Is that clear as mud? Okay. All right, so anyway, it doesn't change anything. It just tells you that your teacher is, an, is, is a human being and makes mistakes sometimes, amen? And sometimes we have to go back and correct ourselves. But it doesn't change the whole uh, point or flow of the text whatsoever. It just means that basically we've got three chapters left in the book of Daniel, and here they are in order. Chapter 10, he's going to receive uh, a visitation from an angel. The angel is going to give him further revelation about what was revealed in chapter 9. Does that make sense? He's going to give him further revelation about what happened in chapter 9. And the content of that new revelation is what we're going to read about in chapter 11 and then in chapter 12. Okay? Are we on the same point? Now, what are we going to get into? He's going to get into some fascinating stuff. Just like if you remember at the very beginning, right before Babylon rises to power, God gives Daniel all kinds of dreams and visions, doesn't he? Right? And he shows him what's going to happen through the rest of the whole world. He's going to show him every single Gentile empire that will exist upon the face of the earth. Well, that continues on. And remember, Daniel doesn't write anything for almost 60-something years. Until what? The very end of the Babylonian captivity. So then we get to the end of the Babylonian ca captivity, and guess what? The supernatural stuff starts happening again in Daniel's life. Because now we're about ready to make a transition. We're going to go from the Babylonian Empire over to the Persian Empire, and that's when he starts getting more dreams and visions. And that's how Daniel knew right before the handwriting on the wall happened that it was all about to go down because God had given him dreams and visions. Well, now the Persian Empire has, has uh, risen to power, and now Daniel is in his later 80s. He's in retirement at this point. We know that he pretty much retired after the death of Darius, 
And he's been out of public office now for about two years. Daniel's not going to live a whole lot longer. And so now in Daniel's life, for the last time that we know of, some more supernatural stuff is starting to happen in his life. And every time this happens, every time this happens, the angel comes and he gives him more information about what was already revealed before. So we're going to wrap up in chapters 11 and 12, and it's going to fill in more information about the future of the nation of Israel, the rise of the Antichrist, and it's going to record details that are recorded nowhere else in the Bible, namely the resurrection of the dead before the final judgment. Isn't that amazing? So let's get into it this morning. Chapter 10, and we're going to get a glimpse, a peek, into that strange world that we talk about when we discuss an idea called spiritual warfare. Um, The Bible doesn't give us a lot of glimpses like this, but here in this text, you're going to get a glimpse into the spiritual reality that exists behind the scenes. How many of you realize that there is a spiritual battle going on all the time? All the time. Now we say that and we think, yeah, it's a spiritual battle, but because we don't see it, we, we sometimes just kind of think, okay, it's in our heads or whatever, but it's real. There is a spiritual battle that's taking place behind the scenes, and what happens in that battle behind the scenes has ramifications for what happens here on the earth. Now I'm going to say something that might be shocking to you, as well as what we do on the earth when we warfare in the spirit also has ramifications for what happens up there in the spiritual warfare. Let's get into it. The Bible teaches us that there are benevolent beings, right? We call these beings angels. The Bible also tells us that there are malevolent beings. Now, where did the malevolent ones come from? We know that there's good angels, but what about these bad ones? Who knows the story? Who can tell me the story? They did? Where's my microphone? I've got to make sure we can hear her. Thank you. Here you go, Max in. Test, test. Test, test. There you go. Well, they were originally from heaven, but because of pride... Satan and his dominions were kicked out, the third of his angels. Is that correct? That's the idea. Yeah, you get the idea of the third of the angels from the book of Revelation. But yeah, there's a big mass exodus of angels that that go with Lucifer, right? Right. Okay. And those are the ones you're talking about. Those are the ones that we're talking about. Yes, ma'am. Okay, very good. Now, before we we get into chapter 10, I do want to take a pause here, and I want to go somewhere else just for a brief, brief moment. Keep your finger here. And I want you to take your Bibles and thumb back to 2 Kings chapter uh, 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Again, the Bible gives you little glimpses every now and then about this spiritual reality. I want to show you a positive one here. This is a whole little story here about some tension that is going on between Syria and Israel. Times don't change, do they? (laughs) Right? Syria and Israel, they're, they're at war, they're fighting with each other just like they are today. But here we see a tension between Syria and Israel, and here's what the text tells us. Now, who's got the microphone? I want to let you guys help me read. James, you have it? Would you mind reading, um, let's see, uh, just read uh, verses 8 down through, say, 17. Uh, this is going to be 2 Kings 6. 2 Kings 6, thank you. Yes, sir, 8 through 17. 
Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall, my, shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the, sent to the place about which man... Let me try that again. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? So he thinks he might have a spy, right? And he thinks he might have a spy in his midst. All right. One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king that uh, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, He is in Dotham. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opens the servant's eyes, and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. Ooh, how you like that? I can't tell you, every time I hear that story, I get chills, man. Here's Elisha. He's got his little servant guy. He's with him, you know. And, and, I, and I feel like, you know, Elisha's servant is kind of like a lot of our, our, you know, younger Christians who hadn't been in the game for a long time. You know what I mean? They don't know the Lord's there and, and he can speak and, he, you know, there's the spiritual warfare going around. And so he looks out and he sees through the physical, right? And he sees the Aramean armies. He's scared to death. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I can almost just imagine Elisha's like, Lord, just would you show him? Just give him a minute. Come on. You know what I mean? Because Elisha's not scared at all. And he opens his eyes. And what does he see? He sees, listen, listen to what I'm about to say. He opens his eyes, and for the first time in this young servant's life, he sees the real reality. See, the one that you and I live in, this is a virtual reality. You realize this, right? This is a virtual reality. You are living in VR right now. You are a spiritual being who happens to live in an earth suit who's going through earthly experiences on their way back there. What he was able to do for a brief moment is he was able to take his Oculus Quest off for just a moment and see what was really going on around him. Guess what? Do you not believe that that is not still going on today? And when the church gets together and does things for the Lord and gets on task for the Lord, is in on mission for the, for the Lord, and when the enemy comes in like a flood, do you not think that those chariots of fire are still not there, right there waiting for you? Man, I believe it with all my heart. Now listen, verse 18. As the enemy came down toward them, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I'll lead you to the man that you're looking for. He led them to Samaria, by the way. 
And after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. And then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and they were inside Samaria. Could you imagine the shock these guys had? <laughs> they were in the enemy camp, right? Well, when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? By the way, why does he call the prophet his father? He's a spiritual father. Exactly right. Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those that you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. All right. So I just wanted to read that to you really quick. That's just a little glimpse. Again, the Bible has four or five of these all throughout the Bible. Little glimpses where you can peer behind the scenes, if you will, and see what's really going on. All right, let's go back to Daniel chapter 10. And let's go ahead and get into it. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, now this is two years after Darius. Darius only reigns a year, by the way. He only reigns about a year, a very, very short reign. Um, we're about two years later, so this is really the third year for Daniel, who's been out of office that long. Okay? So in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who is called Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, which, by the way, is a throwback to his Babylon days, right? Apparently that name is like a nickname. It's stuck around for a long time. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. Um, real quick, a lot of people wonder, do you realize chronologically speaking, the 70-year captivity is over at this point? We've already had Cyrus. Cyrus has already issued his edict, two of them, and they've already started going back home, the, the captives of Israel. Why do you think Daniel is still here? Why doesn't he go home too? What do you think? Huh? Not through? He's also in his later 80s. You, you live somewhere your whole life in your later 80s. Do you feel like moving? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he's at, the very, he's at the retirement years of his life. I think that might be what's going on here. But at the same time, he's not done either. He's not done. God's still got a little bit more to do with him. All right, so verse 2. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food. No meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. This is what we call the Daniel fast, right? People talk about the Daniel fast, and he's, he's fasting, he's, he's just he's torn up about something, all right? What are we torn up about? Well, it doesn't tell you specifically what Daniel's all torn up about, but let me give you a conjecture. I don't think Daniel has been right for the last two years of his life. I think Daniel has been dealing with this for about two years because ever since he had that incredible, life-changing vision of the 70 weeks prophecy, he has seen the rise and fall of Israel in his own lifetime. He has seen it predicted to happen at least two more times in prophecy in the future. He does not know what to do with all this information. And so he's fasting and he's praying, just like he did before. Remember, that's how he got the 70 weeks prophecy. It's because he was fasting and praying even when they were threatening to throw him in the lion's den. He was fasting and praying, trying to find out more understanding. So here we are two years later. He's mourning, he's fasting, he's praying, he wants understanding. And now we're about to see the angel respond yet again. Look at verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, 
I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz. His face was like lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And his voice was like the sound of a multitude. Isn't that crazy? You know, it seems like every time you have these descriptions of angels, or sometimes you'll have these descriptions of the the risen Lord, you go to the book of Revelation, you see this, right? So who is this angelic being? We don't know for sure. Is it Gabriel? He's seen Gabriel now at least twice. We don't know. I don't think it's Gabriel. Here's why, because uh, Gabriel's going to come in a little bit later again. And also, because Daniel knows Gabriel pretty well by now, you would think that if it was Gabriel, he'd just name him, right? This apparently is another being. Now, I'll tell you that some people conjecture, and they say that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, right? What we call an epiphany, I think, right? Is that what we call an epiphany? A pre-incarnate, you know, portrayal, uh, a manifestation, if you will, of Jesus Christ. I don't think that's the case. And here's why, because in a moment he's going to come and he's going to say, I would have been here sooner, but I got held up, <laughs> right? I was on my way. He says, the day, the day that you started fasting and praying, the Lord said, go talk to him. But it's taken me three weeks to get, you, get to you. Why? Because I was withheld by the prince of Persia. Now you say, now hold on. How, what, now why has Cyrus got anything to do with this? No, 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 no. <laughs> Not that prince. We're talking about the power behind the prince of Persia, right? The principality, the heavenly power. So we don't tend to think of Jesus as being held up, right? I don't think Jesus is going to get held up along the way. But this angel is, okay? So it is a particular type of angelic being. And I think it's safe to say that this is an important person uh, in the angelic structure. Probably not Gabriel and Jesus, but very, very important. And so he fasts for 21 days, and then this incredible being shows up with this strange vision and information. And look what he says, verse 7. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me, now he had some people along with him when he started receiving this vision. He says, they didn't see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and they hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision, and I had no strength left. And my face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. And what scared them? I'm just curious. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what you think. What, what do you think scared them all? I, I don't think it's a demon. He's about to have this incredible angelic visitation. Huh? Yeah, so overwhelmingly glorious, okay. And, and Daniel's just enraptured, right? He's, just, he's in the vision. He's seeing it. He's ready to receive it. The other people, they don't know what to do with it. Now, we don't know that they heard anything. This reminds me so much of Paul's conversion on the way to Tarsus. Remember that? What's the story there? He's on his way. All of a sudden, the Lord shines from out of heaven, says, Paul, Paul, why do you kick against the goads? There were other people there too. And what did the Bible say happened with those people? Yeah. See, now they don't, get, they don't run away and hide, but it does say they shrunk back. Now, while God is speaking, Paul hears clearly. He can hear the voice of God because he's in tune with the Holy Spirit. The other people don't hear the voice of God. All they hear is thunder. Isn't that interesting? All they hear is thunder. 
So it sounds one way to one person, sounds another way to someone else. Here it seems like it's very, very similar to that. Okay? Now it's interesting, he turns a deathly pale. Look at every example in the Bible of when a person, a human being, has an encounter with an angel. What happens? Anthony. Yeah. That's right. He's fasting, praying, seeking the Lord, right? That's right. That's good. It's a good point. To, 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 to according to your hunger, right? The Lord will speak to you according to your hunger, give to you according to your hunger, okay? So he turns deathly pale, and what I was going to say is, if you look at every example in the Bible, when an angel appears, what is the, the normal reaction to a human being? Scared. Second reaction, immediately drop to the floor, start worshiping, right? And, and, and if it's a good angel, <laughs> if they know their place, what do they always say? Don't do that. Don't do that. Get up, get up, get up. I, I'm, a, I'm a fellow servant, just like you, right? But because of their power and their beauty, and, and when you see these things, it just, it just it takes everything out of you. You become so aware of your sinfulness, your humanity. You, you, in comparison to the holy, you've got nothing, right? And so he's, he's, he's just without himself at this point. Verse 9, And then I heard him speaking as I listened to him, and I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground, a hand touched me, and he set me trembling on my hands and my knees. Now, I'm going to stop right here because that's the second bell, but I'm going to set this up for a cliffhanger. I want you to think about this for a second. What we're about to read in the book of Daniel, chapters 11 and 12, was so important that the armies of hell decided to make a play and to try to keep this message from making it into your Bibles. Does that make you want to read it and understand it? I want to know what Satan doesn't want me to know. So come next Sunday and find out what it was. All right? God bless you. See you at worship in just a minute. Love you.